When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that he would give you, a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, wells dug that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Fear Yahweh your God, worship him and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you and wipe you off the face of the earth. Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him in Mass- at Massa. Carefully observe the commands of the Lord your God, the decrees and statutes he has commanded you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that you may prosper and, and so you may enter and possess the good land the Lord your God swore to give to your fathers by driving out your enemies before you, as the Lord has said. And our second reading tonight is from Acts chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 13. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenix... I'm not going to say that now, (laughs) Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. So each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. And at chapter 13, verse 1. In the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Manon, a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
There's quite a few visitors here tonight. Uh, we're in a, actually a series in the book of Acts, and Acts is just a, a book of the Bible that describes the early church when the first Christians gathered together and how the gospel of Jesus spread throughout the, the world. Uh, the verse I want to focus on tonight is in verse uh, 26, actually. Uh, the, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It's a great verse. It's, it's the first time that the followers of Jesus Christ have had a label. Up until this point, they've been called the believers, they've been called the disciples, they've been called the saints, but now they're called Christians. Uh, that word Christian is a beautiful word, isn't it? It just means a follower of Christ. Uh, the word Christian means the man or the woman who, who trusts Jesus and then lives their whole life because of that faith in Jesus. According to the dictionary, the, the word Christian means one who lives according to the teachings of Jesus Christ and manifests the qualities of Jesus, especially in showing concern for other people. Don't you want to be that? Someone who doesn't just have the label as a Christian, but somebody who lives as a Christian. That when people look at your life, they think, oh, there's a man or the woman who, because of their faith in Jesus, they, they live differently. And because of their faith in Jesus, they actually display all these beautiful qualities and characteristics that Jesus displayed, a, a love and a compassion and a kindness. That word Christian is a beautiful, beautiful word. But here's the problem. The word Christian has lost all real meaning today, hasn't it? It's become just a vague term. It's kind of the, the default box. So in the 2011 census, you know when you tick the box to say what religion you are? 61% called themselves Christians. But on any given Sunday, less than 10% are in any Christian church anywhere. Someone said the word Christians become one of the vaguest epithets in the English language. You don't understand that. It just means that it's a nonsense word now. So lots of people think that if you're, you're not a Buddhist and you're not a Hindu, you're not a, a Muslim, you're not a Jew, well, you must be a Christian. It's a, the one-size-fits-all. I remember having a conversation and someone said to me, oh, Paul, what religion are you? I said, oh, I'm a Christian. And the person said, oh, everyone's a Christian, but what religion are you? Are you Catholic? Are you Anglican? Are you Baptist? I said, no, I'm a Christian. You're talking about the, the, the denominations. Isn't that sad? That a beautiful word called Christian, a follower of Christ, one who lives for Christ, it's just become so vague and so meaningless. I was thinking this week, maybe we need to find a new term to describe us. Because to the world out there, the word Christian is just meaningless. But the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And just so you understand, Antioch was a big city. It was the, the third largest city of the day behind Rome and behind Alexandria. Population of about half a million people. It was a cosmopolitan city. People from Persia and from India and from China. Lots of Greeks, a small Jewish population. It was a magnificent city. It was, it was called Antioch the Beautiful. It had marble streets and high-rise buildings. It was kind of like, like the Paris of its day. And it's to that city that the 
disciples went, and we're told in Acts chapter 11 that they traveled there, not on some church planting mission, but because of the persecution. Christians were being martyred, Christians were being killed, and so they fled to a place called Antioch. And what you've got to realize, when it says in verse 26, the Christians were first called, sorry, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, what you've got to realize, it, it was not the disciples who named themselves. It was the city of Antioch that named this group of followers Christians. I mean, Antioch was, was famous for giving nicknames. And they looked at this group of men and women who loved Jesus, and they, and they gave them the nickname Christian. It was probably derogatory. They were probably mocking them. But for any man or woman who loves Jesus, it's not a derogatory term, is it? It's a privilege to be called a follower of Christ. I want to look tonight at what makes a Christian church. Eight marks of a Christian church. Just a couple minutes on each. A Christian church must show signs of God's grace. You see that in verse 23? When Barnabas arrived at this church, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. I love that when Barnabas, the apostle, arrives at this church in Antioch where the Christians are, he doesn't talk about their sermons, he doesn't talk about their music, he doesn't talk about what clothes they wear, he doesn't talk about how many they are, he just talks about the grace of God. He says, I look at them and by their lives I just see God at work in them. I just see transformed people living different lives because of the grace of God. I see forgiven people. I see people who are displaying love and kindness and compassion, all those gifts of the Spirit. I see the grace of God in these people. There's Joyce Meyer who said, Christianity is a lifestyle and being a Christian is more than a label. I do hope people look at us at Church by the Bridge and they don't just talk about our building or our music, or our preaching, but they talk about the grace of God because they see lives being transformed by Jesus. I see that. I see the grace of God in the lives of so many people in this church. People living differently. People making different choices. Why? Because they love Jesus. I was thinking about Ben and Nicole. Why do these guys... Love people the way they love people. Why do they serve selflessly? Why do they spend time with people that society just shuns? Why? Because of the grace of God at work in your life. You wouldn't do it otherwise. Not just these guys, but lots of people. A a true Christian church has got to see God's grace at work in the lives of people. Number two. True Christian church will be about sharing the gospel of Jesus. See, this church in Antioch kept on growing as more and more people heard the good news about Jesus. See, that in verse 20, there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and they began speaking to the Greeks, the, the Hellenists, and they proclaimed the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. You imagine that these men and these women went about and they kept talking about Jesus, the, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Whoever they came across, they just talked about Jesus. And what I love about this is that we're not told who they are. They're nameless people. 
These are not professionally trained evangelists. They're not celebrity church planters. They're just ordinary men and ordinary women who love Jesus so much, they just go about their everyday life just talking about Jesus. And what I also love is the fact that they are there, not because they've been commissioned, but but because of the persecution. And you know, as I look back over history, that's how God often grows his church. Not by somebody wearing a dog collar or someone who's been set apart, but by ordinary men and women just sharing the gospel with other people. Think about China. Do you know that China is predicted to be the largest Christian country by the year 2030? Today there are 58 million Christians in China. But just 50 years ago, the professionals were chucked out, weren't they? The Christian missionaries were, were shifted out of China. And we're all sitting there in the church going, oh my goodness, this is going to be a disaster. But what does God do when the professionals go? He grows his church. How does God do that? Through ordinary men and ordinary women who just love Jesus. And just go about talking about Jesus. I've been hearing lots of stories in the last few weeks about church growth in rural Australia. These little small towns, population of 2,000 people. And you're thinking, oh, the church would never grow there. It's growing, it's exploding. I had this week of a church with 150 members. That might not seem a lot, but in a church of 2,000 people, that's a lot, isn't it? And they've heard the gospel because ordinary men and women are talking about Jesus. So the true Christian church, signs of God's grace, sharing the gospel... Number three, encouraging leadership. That's what I love about Barnabas. You meet him down in verse 22. He is a Christian man who lives in Jerusalem, but he's sent to Antioch. Uh, We met him back in chapter 4. His name literally means son of encouragement. And that's what he does in verse 23. When he arrives, he sees the grace of God. He was glad and he encourages them. To stay with Jesus, to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I don't know why he was sent from Jerusalem. I don't know why he was sent down to Antioch to check on the church. I'm guessing that the, the Jewish, the Jerusalem church was a bit sceptical about this church in Antioch. They'd heard about these Christians in Antioch and they'd heard that they were singing different songs and some people were raising hands and, and maybe they didn't have liturgy. And maybe Barnes was sent down to spy on them. But what does he do? He does what any encouraging leader should do. He's not critical. He doesn't just talk about the negatives and what they're doing wrong. He looks at this church and he says, I don't care what you sing. I don't care whether you have liturgy or not. What I do care is that you love Jesus. So stick with Jesus. Don't you want leaders like that? Leaders in God's church where you're not just whacked over the head every week and made to feel guilty. But they encourage you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and to keep running the race. There's all the damage done in the church by discouraging leaders. I hope you pray for the leaders of this church that we will be encouraging, not discouraging. Number four, a Christian church is is growing in knowledge. 
It soon becomes evident to Barnabas that this young church in Antioch, these new Christians, they needed some Bible teaching. They had no knowledge of the Old Testament. And I love the fact that Barnabas needed help. And he remembered a man called Saul, down in verse 25, and he went to Tarsus and searched for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the Christians at the church and taught large numbers. You see, the truth is that when anyone becomes a believer in Christ, there's a lot to learn, isn't there? This is a a very big book about a very big God. And the truth is that no matter whether you've been a Christian for 12 months or 12 years or 50 years, you never stop learning. And what you and I need is men and women to help us to keep on growing. Learned men and women who know the scriptures, who can teach the scriptures to help you to grow in your knowledge of God. And you know, in some churches that when you become a Christian, if you're a new Christian, you, you put on a, a 12-month discipleship scheme. And week by week, they, they teach you about the Bible. They teach you what it means to read your Bible and how to pray and what church is about and how to share your faith and how to live the Christian life because it just doesn't come naturally. And I hope that whether you're sitting here as a new believer or as a believer for many, many years, you, can, you don't want to say, I've stopped learning, I've stopped growing. We as a church want to keep on growing. Number five. A true Christian church will be marked by humility. This is a big one. I find it deeply sad when churches are full of pride. I find it deeply sad when People sit in these chairs and they're competitive. When they puff themselves up, it's all a show that they look important. That wasn't Barnabas. You know, Barnabas did not think he could do everything in the church. Barnabas did not think the church was built on Barnabas. Barnabas did not think that he was indispensable to God's church. If you, are, if you think you're indispensable to God's church here in Kirby, then pride is kept in. You see that because at this point, Barnabas is the primary apostle in Antioch. But then Saul comes along. And for the rest of the Bible, it's not Barnabas and Saul, it's Saul and Barnabas. But Barnabas doesn't care. Barnabas does not have to be the top dog in the church. He just wants people to love Jesus more. And I'm here to say, Church by the Bridge, that if we're going to be a true Christian church, get rid of your pride. You're not the most important person in this building. You're not the most important person in God's kingdom. God can grow his kingdom without you. He's quite capable of doing that. And we are not the best church in Sydney. Stop competing with other churches and looking down at the church and thinking that we're better than other churches. That's a sign of pride. If you have any ambition, make it your ambition to honour Jesus and to make sure that he gets all the glory here and not one single person. Mark number six. Generosity. You cannot be a Christian church if you're stingy. You cannot be a Christian church unless we're generous. 
verse 27, in those days some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. We don't know how he predicted that, but God told him that there was going to be a famine and it did happen. You can read through the writing of Josephus. It happened and many, many, many people starved to death. So what does this church do when they hear about a famine in the future? It hasn't even happened yet. But they hear that in the future there's going to be some people who are without food and without clothing and there's going to be people in need. What do they do? They do this. They get out their wallets and they give their credit cards and they give some cash because they're concerned for the welfare of other people throughout the world. They haven't met these people. But because they're Christian, because they love Jesus and they want other Christians to be cared for and they want other Christians to be fed well and clothed well, they give and they give generously. Verse 29, each of the disciples, not, not just a few, but each of them gave according to his ability. Some were very wealthy, some were very poor, but they all gave. And they gave in an organized way. They determined to send relief to the brothers. And they did it by sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. And I love that, that as soon as they hear of a church in need, they give. Not just a church. When they hear of anybody in need, what should a Christian do? We should give, shouldn't we? It does sadden me when I hear of other churches, even here in Sydney, and they have very little. They can't even afford to pay their bills. And we sit here with so much. We need to give, don't we? And be generous. It it saddens me when you have, you know, the floods and the bushfires and the, uh, the earthquakes and the tsunamis. And it deeply saddens me when the Christians are stingy and we're almost shown up by the non-Christian world. We should be the first to give, to give to anybody in need. Not just money. This church in Antioch gave people. You see that in chapter 13, verse 3? After they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on Barnabas and Saul, they sent them off back for mission. That scares me, you know. That this church is willing to give not just one of their best leaders, but both their best leaders. Because they can look beyond themselves and see the kingdom work and see the gospel work going out throughout the world. And let's send people, let's send money, let's grow God's church, let's be generous, shall we? And that's my appeal to us as church by the bridge. Can we be a generous church? Not just here, but beyond here. Number seven, it's a diverse church. See the list of names in chapter 13, verse 1. The leaders are Barnabas, he's a Levite from Cyprus. Simeon, who is called Nigger, that's how it's pronounced, Nigger. He's a black African. Lucius, the Cyrenian, he's from North Africa as well. Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch. I love this one, that you've got these two men, Menaean and Herod the Tetrarch. And one murders John the Baptist and the other becomes a leader in God's church. 
And then you've got Saul, the, the Pharisee from Tarsus. And, and that is the leadership in the church because the church is different. It's not homogeneous. There's old, there's young, and there's black, there's white. I, I say it again. God's church should not be full just of white middle-class people. God's gospel is for all people of all ages and all stages and all ethnicities. And here in Kirby, we should represent that, shouldn't we? The true Christian church will be diverse, and we should love that because the gospel breaks down all those barriers, doesn't it? And lastly tonight, the true Christian church will be God-reliant. Did you spot that throughout this chapter? It's God who grows his church. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 24, a large number of people were added to the Lord. See, it's the Lord who grows the church. God's church never grows just by clever vision statements or planning or strategy. God's church grows because God grows his church. And this church were reliant on God, not just to grow the church, but to teach them. What do you do with verse 28? Then one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine. What you don't do with verse 28 is ignore it and say that could never happen because God can do that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test it. Be sensitive to and careful to any prophetic word. And then you find uh, Saul and Barnabas and they are prayerful and they are fasting and they're trying to discern the will of God. I just wonder whether Church by the Bridge has slipped into event mode and organization mode and we're good at doing stuff and we rush around and we have lots of things on our calendar. But are we good at relying on God and listening to God and waiting on God and discerning what God's will is for this church? If not, we're just like any other institution, aren't we? With vision statements and strategy documents and plans and events. That's not a church. The church depends on our Heavenly Father for all things, discerns his will, and gives him the glory. So church by the bridge, let me remind you that that word Christian It's the most beautiful word in the vocabulary, isn't it? A follower of Jesus Christ. One who loves Jesus and shows it by the way that they live. One that exhibits all the qualities and characters of their saviour. And my question is, if someone walked into church by their bridge, would they call us a Christian church? Would they see men and women who really are marked by grace? Who do talk about Jesus? We're humble, we're generous, we're prayerful with encouraging leadership and diversity. I do hope so. Let me pray. Father God, we want to be this church marked by our Saviour Christ full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, 
men and women who love you, who show that love by the way that we live. Father, we, we long for you to keep on adding to your church, not so that we can make a name for ourselves, but so the name of Jesus Christ might be honored and glorified. Help us to be, be proud of that word Christian. Not because we are proud people, but because we are proud of our Savior. And we seek to live for him. In Jesus' name.